0: the power of their data wasabi another Boston based championship team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24 7 non stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athleticscom A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now.
1: Welcome to A's Unfiltered. I am Chris Townsend, and we've got another good one for you today here on A's Cast. You're going to hear from Jesus Lazardo. You're going to hear from Buster Olney. You're going to hear from Clay Wood, head's groundskeeper for the athletics, and also Liam Hendricks and Matt Olson. You know, it's not often that you get two guys at the same time on your show. But that's one of the great things about Ace Cast Live is that we do the show from the field right next to the A's dugout. So you never know what's going to happen. So we were scheduled to have Liam Hendricks, and then Matt Olson comes over. So we have two guys so crucial for the athletics this past season and going forward the closer and the big first baseman. Here's the all star and a guy that's going to be an all star soon Liam Hendricks and Matt Olson. Well, I got two guys with me who mean so much to this franchise Matt Olson and Liam Hendricks. Are joining me here, and first, Liam, you're going to get the Dave Stewart Community Service Award tomorrow. What does that mean to you, being presented by Stu himself? Yeah, it's cool, especially now that his numbers been retired.
2: It's uh, it's always a cool thing just to be acknowledged for what you're doing off the field. But uh, at the end of the day, we're not coming into the se- the season looking for acknowledgement for the stuff we do off the field. This is just a way for our charitable stuff and all the charities we work with to get a little bit extra uh, coverage.
1: And then I think about being nominated for the Roberto Clemente Award. I mean, all the stuff you do off the field—that's a—that's a really big deal.
2: Yeah, it's and good. if you can
1: win that, wow! Yeah, it's
2: it's a really cool thing. Obviously, um, you are going in there not looking for any awards, as I said, but uh, yeah, the Roberto Clemente—it just carries such prestige with it. It's uh, it's always nice knowing that not only that the front office thought I was doing a good job off the field, it was like it was the uh, that we're doing something good for the community, which is always a good thing.
1: And Matt, I think about the year you're having. I mean, after what happened in Japan and the way you've rebounded and your year has been fabulous, what has it been like really helped carry this team to where we are trying to get into the
3: postseason? Yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, I think we're all happy with where we are right now. Uh, you know, a, a lot of uncertainty with the injury and, um, you know, knowing what a handmate does to some guys. and. Uh, You know, I just wanted to come back and and produce and and help the team win, like you said, and, uh, you know, been been pleasantly surprised. Well,
1: I mean, you're having an incredible year and thinking finishing up with 11 games. These are some really big numbers you're putting up. (laughs) You know, what has it been like for you? Like the light has clicked and all of a sudden, I mean, it's just it's been real dominating at times for you. (laughs)
3: Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm, I'm getting to a better place. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm noticing things in my swing quicker. Where in the past it might be a week, ten days before I, you know, really hone in on on what's going wrong and, and what's causing bad results. And you know, instead of that, I'm taking one or two days and addressing the issue and and you know, getting back on track.
1: I mean, the team's record, Liam when he's not here versus when he is here it's dramatically different i mean to have a power hitting first baseman who's a gold glove i mean the luxury of that is huge for a team
2: yeah i mean you look at what we did against the astros we went uh, six of eight the last time and i don't think he played within the first three series we played against him and we kind of didn't do well so it's having him over there on defense as well as the presence in the uh, in the lineup is huge for us because not only not only is it what he's been able to do on the like at the plate but it gives everyone else a little bit okay well we can't we need to pitch to Chapman. We need to pitch to KD. We need to pitch to Mount Cannon because we don't want to get to Olsen. So it's like all the other guys are benefiting from it as well because
1: they get better pitches to hit. How big is it for you guys as pitchers to know the kind of infield defense you have out there behind you? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome.
2: Obviously, uh, last night I just didn't keep it in the field, but it's, um, <laughs> it's part and parcel of the way it goes. We have we have the utmost respect for everybody that's out there. And, I mean, I'd not I'd be surprised if we didn't have more than two gold gloves this year coming up. So we've got a bunch of guys out there on the infield and outfield that are being able to do it pretty good.
1: Yeah, and I want to bring up, as my notes blew off, I want to bring you guys something that I, I don't know if you guys know about your teammate Marcus Simeon, because I'm sitting here championing him as a guy that should be an MVP candidate. I know he'll probably go to Trout, may go to Bregman. I think he needs to at least be top three. He joined this list 116 runs, 173 hits, 38 doubles, 7 triples, 30 home runs, 85 RBIs, 78 walks, 10 stolen bases in a season. There's only been three guys who've ever done that Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Marcus Simeon. I mean, Matt, how can this guy not be an MVP candidate?
3: He should be. Um, You know, with what he has done this year. Defensively goes unnoticed. Offensively goes unnoticed. The guy's out there every single day. Um, he's, he's a machine, honestly. Uh, you know, he, he prepares with the best of them. And, and he's having one of the best years that I've seen. And um, you know I know we're not necessarily the biggest market and don't get the, the most media attention. Uh, but uh, I, I really think he should be up there in M V P talks.
1: And one thing that I mention all the time and, and you just kinda alluded to it is that when a guy plays every day and he works his ass off every single day, if you're in that clubhouse you notice it. It's leading by example, isn't
3: it? For sure. You know, you don't have to you don't have to come out here and, and have the camera on you and you know, be a big rah rah guy in order to to lead and um, he's doing it. He's he's coming out, setting the tone in the leadoff spot. You know, I saw he, he just surpassed Ricky for the most leadoff home runs or fo- most home runs from the leadoff spot in the season. Um, you know, he's coming out, putting together good at-bat, first at-bat of the game, and, uh, you know, I think it, it's a big it's a big thing for him to come out and set the tone. He's doing a great job this year.
1: Yeah, is that any good when uh, Ricky Henderson, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, when they're talking to you about that, Liam, <laughs> is that any good? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Seems to
2: be all right. <laughs> I mean, anytime you get mention anyone of from that caliber of talent, I mean, you're doing the right things, and it's a it's a credit to him as how much hard work he's put in. I mean, he's out here every single day. People don't see it, but he's out here every single day working hard, making sure he gets better than the day before. That's that's insane.
1: Do you guys get the sense that you're already playing playoff baseball right uh, now?
2: Uh, a little bit. Every now and then, there's a couple games that we feel like we're going into it and be like, okay do or die kind of thing, but um every now and then it's just at the end of the day we're gonna play every game. We're up by whatever games in the ball I don't even know what that record is in the wild card. I don't know what it is. Because I don't want to worry about it. All we need to do is go out there and win each day. And if we win each day we're gonna be just fine.
1: I won't tell you it's one. Uh (laughs) do you get that sense at all Matt? I mean we're down to eleven games. This is a this is no doubt a sprint to the finish line between you, the Rays and the Indians.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think Liam said it perfectly. We, we can't get caught up in that because at the end of the day, if, if we handle our business, we feel like we'll be in a good position. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's coming to the end. Every game counts, and I think we're aware of that. But it's not, it's not like we're uh, adding any pressure to ourselves by that. Uh, I think we just find a way to come out here and, and play our game. Do you think playing last year at Yankee Stadium in that wild card
1: game, will truly prepare you for this wild card game.
3: I think it will for sure. Um, There's a lot of a lot of unexpectedness going going into New York last year. Uh, a lot of younger guys, a lot of guys who hadn't been in that wild card game scenario before. So uh, just living through it, uh, having that experience last year in such a hostile environment is uh, going to do nothing but help us if we're in that same scenario this year. Think about your journey one year you could be starting the wild card game, Liam,
1: and the next year you could be closing out the wild card game. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's
2: definitely changed a little bit my scenery. But um, at the end of the day, it is what it is. We're going to go out there, and uh, if, if it's at home, if it's at, in Tampa, if it's in Cleveland, whatever it is, it's going to be an electric crowd, and we're going to go out there, and you are got to handle your emotions. I think uh, playing in it last year is definitely going to be a boon for us, just going out there and knowing that, okay, we've done this. There's some guys on the other team that
1: haven't done this before. Let's go do what we need to do.
3: Yeah, how big would it be, to, Matt, to
1: have this game here at the Coliseum? Because I guarantee it will be a packed crowd.
3: Yeah, it would be awesome. Uh, you know, first of all, that, that would mean that, that we handled our business these last 11 games. And uh, second of all, to, to have this environment, um, you know, when we pack this place out, it's a tough place to play, come in as a, as a road team. So. Uh, you know, I, I would assume that the wild card game would be packed out and it would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that's a, the one good thing that the situation you're in with 11 to play, you truly control your own destiny.
3: Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: And, no and one wants to come here.
2: No. Nobody wants to come here. I've been talking to other guys, nobody at all. No one wants to come in. They don't want to play it. If Pound for pound, we've got the best fans in the league. If we sell out this place, it's going to be the loudest place in baseball. There's no doubt in my mind. We have the most passionate
1: fans if they come out. If they come out, we're going to be all right. I can tell you, I was just here on Sunday because I was to work for the Raiders. And when it's just packed like a Raider game, and that's what we saw in the playoffs in 2012 and 2013, where guys like Verlander and Cabrera were saying, this is by far the last stadium I've ever been in. That's why it's so key to get that game here. By the way, the field, you know, I know after this second game where the Raiders played back to back games, for you, how, how tough is the field out there? <laughs>
3: Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely different. Um, anytime you got a bunch of 300-pounders running as hard as they can and cutting, there's, there's going to be some things that happen to the, the surface. But, uh, you know, th- there's nothing we can do about it. We, we can't change the, the NFL schedule. So uh, you just got to come out here and adjust and, and do what you can. Uh, hopefully you don't take one in the teeth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, one thing that, and I know you really can't talk about it, and, and I've done this for Chapman, and I've done this for Simeon and I stay on Billy Bean and I stay on David Forrest. And I talk to, you know, the I got the David Forrest show every single week. I've been talking about there there needs to be guys that need to need to be inked up long term that are pillars for this franchise. And you're a guy that I'm fighting for right now with those guys saying, hey, you you, you have something really, really special at first base. And I, I hope you know the fan base we talk about you in the postgame show i hope you know that this fan base they want
3: you around long term well i appreciate that um you know i I definitely want to be here long term i got drafted by the a's this is this has been all i've known Uh, i love playing here i I love the crowd Uh, i love the the guys in in the clubhouse and just the environment in general here so uh you know stuff like that is is a little bit out of my control and um you know, if it, ever, if it ever comes to me, it'll be something that, you know, I definitely would, would like to have happen. But, you know, until then, uh, I just got to play game by game. You know, we're trying to get wins out here, and, and that stuff will handle itself. And, Liam, tomorrow night will be very, very
1: special for you and your family. And, you know, we've talked to so much about all the hard work that you do, and you talk about how you want to make this world a better place before you leave it. And I think we all realize that that that's true, and it's coming from the heart. And so to get these awards for all the hard work that you and your wife do, kind of validates it. It kind of it's, it's, it's something. I know that you don't do it for that, but it does validate it a little bit. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, anytime you get
2: acknowledged for something you're doing, it's always uh, it's always a good thing. I mean, it's uh, for what we've been able to do this year. It's just we're happy to bring as much coverage to our charities as we can. So hopefully, Stanford for the Silent gets a big boon from this. Plays for Pitts, Mission Canine. Remember me Thursday. Hopefully, these these organizations will get a bit of a boon from this, and people just raise awareness. And that's the biggest thing is just raising awareness, making sure that there's other people in different parts of the country that get a, that they can see these things and be like, "Hey, let's get behind this. Let's do what we need to do. What can we do to help?" And just see where it goes. And if you're talking to force about extensions, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm available. Yeah. If, if you, if, we're gonna get try and get you an extension yeah, too. <laughs> get
1: Marcus. I mean, it's, it's Laser Ramon at some point's got to be taken care of. You got all these young pitchers that I mean, that's that's. You know, so much about the organization right now, and I know you guys gotta go, but so much about the organization is about preparing for twenty twenty three in the new ballpark. But I've been talking about you got this Sean Murphy kid who's come up, it's like my God, and you got now we're finally getting to see Puck and Lazardo, Manai is back. I really believe you guys can win a World Series before we even talk about going into that new park. I mean uh,
2: screw twenty twenty three, what about twenty nineteen? I Why mean, let's not, not look too far ahead. We got the guys, we got the talent. And we're, we're, we're not ranked high enough to threaten anybody, but everybody knows that we're gonna come. We're gonna be coming for them. Absolutely.
3: I mean, I, I think this year and and years to come. Um, you know, I feel like we're in a good spot. We have a great mix of veteran guys and young guys, and, um, you know, I, I'm really just excited about the lineup, the rotation, the bullpen, everything that we're running out on a nightly basis. Um, you know, we don't count on one guy every night. Uh, you know, it's it's exciting.
1: Guys, thank you so much. Get a victory tonight. 11 games left, and uh, can't wait to have that uh, wild card game here. It will be electric. Appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, appreciate you it. You only get stuff like this on A's Cast Live. Liam Hendricks, friend of the program, as we like to say, and I think Matt Olson, I think going forward – there's a chance he's going to be the best player on the A's for years. I mean, you're looking at a guy that's got 50 or more home run power, and the defense that he plays is absolutely second to none up next was our first chance to talk to jesus lazardo as he got called up to the big leagues in september we knew he'd play a big part down the stretch and uh he's been absolutely dynamite the future is bright in oakland and one of the reasons why is jesus lazardo well now joining us here on a's cast live you've been waiting for him all season long and he's finally here in the big leagues jesus lazardo was with us jesus Thank you for the time, and first off, congratulations. I know you've been chomping at the bit. You finally got the call, and you're finally in the big leagues.
4: Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me, and, uh, you know, I'm happy to be here. You you knew it was
1: just a matter of time, but what was it like when you finally got the call? You you knew that the playoffs were over for Las Vegas, and you were coming to the big leagues.
4: It was just a crazy feeling. Uh, you know, you you imagine it growing up, and, uh Everything you imagine uh, can't prepare you for that moment. It's just a crazy whirlwind of emotions.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm sure in your wildest dreams, you never thought when you get called up that you get a chance to watch the game be 15-0 one day, 21-7 the next day, basically football scores. I bet you never envisioned that.
4: Yeah, I definitely didn't envision that. And uh, getting here and, and watching that happen, uh, it's been... It's definitely been interesting
1: at 21 years old. What is it like to walk into a clubhouse? You did it in spring training, but now you're in the clubhouse. You're 21 years old. You're big league. You're in the big leagues. You're looking around. There's some young guys, but you've got some serious veteran guys. What was it like when you first walked into the clubhouse there in Houston?
4: I mean, just walking in right away. Um, I just, uh, immediately talked to some of the, you know, some of the guys that I knew up here for spring training, and we have a great group of guys here. And uh, I mean, even the guys that got here after spring training, you know, it's kind of really nice to me. Took me under their wing, so uh, we have a great group of guys here, and I'm happy to be here.
1: You know, probably about uh, about two months ago, David Forrest, the general manager, was was on this program. This is where we do the general manager show, and I said, "What's his role going to be?" And he said, "When you come up, you're going to be a starter." We talked to Bob Melvin yesterday on the Bob Melvin show. And he says, well, things have changed. You're going to be coming out of the bullpen. Now, how much in your career have you come out of the bullpen? Have you ever really even come out of the bullpen before?
4: Uh, I did it a couple of times in spring training, piggybacking. Um, And then this year when I was on kind of some rehab starts with AJ puck, we did it too, coming out of the pen. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it. I don't really have a problem with it. And just, I mean, like I said, any way I could come in and help is what I want to do.
1: You know, whether it's Seth Brown or Sheldon Noisy or A.J. Puck, the guys we've gotten to get on, you know, the great thing is when you come up, you're just not coming up to play in the big leagues. You're coming up trying to make the postseason. You're coming up trying to win a World Series. What is that like for you coming up, knowing that these just these these just aren't regular games like a lot of other teams are playing? You're playing to get in the postseason.
4: Yeah, I definitely think actually that probably helps you know and motivates you even a little bit more. You know you want to do well, and um, it kind of drives you to to perform a little bit more. And and I love it. I think it's it's a great opportunity.
1: And I think about your year and. You know, we got to talk to you in spring training. There was a hope that you would make the rotation at a spring training. And, and and then you got the the injury there while the ball club was in Japan. And it's just been a long year of trying to get back and rehabbing. Mentally, what has that been like for you?
4: It was definitely a roller coaster. Just, you know, getting hurt twice, uh being close the second time and I heard my lot. Uh, it, was, it was definitely frustrating and a roller coaster of emotions, but uh, I always tried to get the positive out of it and, uh, just, you know, kind of try to take it day by day when I was in rehab and, uh, try to make a positive out of this year. I didn't want to lose the whole year once I got hurt.
1: So at what point did you say, or, or did you feel I'm 100% healthy? I can just let it go and, and I'm going to be fine.
4: To be honest with you, I felt it, uh, probably multiple times, but, uh, after the shoulder rehab, I felt perfectly healthy, and the lat thing was kind of just a freak thing. And then definitely after the lat injury, um, when I was in Stockton rehabbing, that's when I was like, I'm 100% here, and I felt really good, and I'm glad that you know, I kind of hit the ground running.
1: So we got an idea that today actually might be your pro debut. What has Bob Melvin told you about how he's going to get you into a game?
4: Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't really uh, we haven't really talked about that too much. Well, uh, I just know that today was the first day uh, I was available because I, because of my start uh, last Friday. But we haven't really talked too much about you know in what situations or anything like that.
1: Well, making your debut against a super team and the Houston Astros not only are one of the best teams, but they're the very best team at home. Talk to us about your preparation, how you go about it against opposing teams how much video you watch, numbers that you look at. How do you get ready for an opposing team? Because we know you have a ton of information in front of you here at the big league level.
4: Yeah, definitely. You know, you watch some videos on, uh, you know, where you could find some holes on some guys and uh, you look at some of their numbers and their stats and their swing percentages and all that. But, um, you know, I kind of just try to study each team the same way and um, try to find a little advantage that I can get here and there. And uh, that's usually what I do.
1: Are, are you going to have family here the next couple days in Houston?
4: Yeah, I'm going to have some family and some friends in here. Yeah,
1: because that's been one of the cool things about every single time a guy makes a debut, that the camera pans to the family and you see how happy the family is. And it's really something that's romantic about baseball versus all the other sports are these debuts. Uh, who was the first person that you called when, when, when you got the call that you were going up to the big leagues?
4: Uh, I called my mom and my dad. Those were the first people I called.
1: And what was his reaction?
4: Uh, It was funny. My dad had just gotten to Europe uh, on a business trip. So he was kind of like asleep. And I called him and, you know, he's obviously very happy. And my mom was back home and she was very happy. And it was just, I mean, a lot of excitement, a lot of happiness. Um, And then, you know, kind of scrambling to see when they can get here. (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs> your dad lands in Europe. It's like, Oh, I got to turn around. I got to go back home. Right? Yeah. Well, it's a very, very special time. And we really look forward. you know, I hope, you know, the A's fan base has been waiting for this. We've been talking about it because I also do the post game show and I take the phone calls after the game. And uh, we've been talking about you a lot. You, you, you know, A's fans have been dying to see you at the big leagues, right?
4: Uh, thank you. I really appreciate that.
1: Well, we think you're going to get in today, if not tomorrow. Best of luck. Go out there and just be you because that's going to be enough. And we're going to enjoy watching you pitch. And we'll talk to you when you when you get back to Oakland for the last stand of the
4: season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
1: I can't wait to see a full season from him. This kid is going to be special. One of my favorites... He works for ESPN. You can read him on ESPN.com. Also, his podcast, Baseball Tonight, is arguably the best baseball podcast. I try and listen to it every day. And we've been trying to get him on, and we finally got him on. Here's Buster only talking A's and talking Major League Baseball. Buster, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Hey,
5: Chris. How are you doing? Good to talk with you again.
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's always an honor to have you on the program. You know, your podcast is... Is second to none. I tell people all the time on this show, baseball tonight is, is a must listen. It's by far the most comprehensive, basically one hour of radio. If you're a baseball fan, I mean, you guys got to love what you're doing there because it's truly special.
5: Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I have a lot of a lot of fun putting it together every day, and and you know, getting uh, just uh, going through all the news of the day. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I've actually gotten to know Sarah Langs because of the podcast. We bring her on the show all the time, and she's constantly researching for us. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's 2nd and And the cool thing about this, Buster, is we're the only team in baseball right now allowed to do this. So we have a streaming station that's 24-7, and we have this live talk show. And, really, this is the future of baseball. And all these teams coming in, they, always, they all know, like, you know, there's something going on in Oakland and we got a lot of people coming to us going, how are you doing it? And a lot of teams are like going, we're going to copy this. But right now baseball's allowing us to be the only ones to do it. So it's really a cool thing what we're trying to do here with the A's.
5: Yeah. Congratulations. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, it it feels like the great, you know, the discussions you're having and discussions that we're having on the podcast. I, I mean, that to me is clearly the direction of broadcasting where, You just have conversations and it's it's authentic and it doesn't seem scripted and uh, you can get into some things maybe a little bit deeper than like when I do SportsCenter sometimes I know that I've got 20 seconds to give an answer so I better come up with a declarative sentence (laughs) and one punchy remark but it's not as fun that's not as fun certainly as just being able to have a conversation about baseball
1: you know for the A's they got 16 games left we'll get into this historic series cuz it's been absolutely crazy but just talk about the American League wild card race between the Rays the A's and the Indians man this is just a sprint to the finish line
5: it, it really is uh and three small market teams with facing their various challenges you know uh, the fact that I mean, Cleveland, uh, having traded Trevor Bauer, having lost Corey Kluber, having lost Carlos Carrasco to injury, and yet still finding a way. And you know, Tampa Bay, to me, uh, you know, a month and a half ago, I thought they were they were done when they lost Blake Snell after lo- losing Tyler Glass. before that, I thought they were done. And you know, their success is remarkable. And Oakland just doing what Oakland does. <laughs> <laughs> right, we know that about May 30th every year, it's like uh, in the organization. It's like, okay, we figured it out. We got the pieces we want. We'll move forward. And now to have these, uh, you know, two young pitchers. Uh, well, I don't know if you want to call Shaimanaya young, but to have these two guys potentially inject their added to their pitching staff at the end of the year makes them more dangerous. I think as you go down the stretch and into the postseason.
1: And I just think it's fitting today that the A's are trying to take three of four, and our old nemesis is on the mound, Justin Verlander. His last 10 starts against the Athletics, he's 8-0 with a 2.03 ERA, and that includes the playoffs. If the A's are able to take three out of four in Houston, how will that change your power rankings for the Athletics? Well... Um, Look, I think
5: that they are the most dangerous of the three teams. Uh, To me, as I mentioned, I think the Rays have so much to overcome. Uh, Cleveland, the issues with their staff, the loss of Jose Ramirez. Having Mania back, uh, having Lazardo now demonstrate last night just how good he can be. Uh, And, you know, the the everyday lineup and having some stability there. To me, that would be the team. If you're the Yankees, you're the Astros, and you're going to have the best record in the American League, that's the wild card team that you wouldn't want to
4: face.
1: You know, you look at this series, first game's 15-nothing, second game's 21 to 7. I mean, it looks like a football score. And then the A's a regular game yesterday where they they beat the Astros 5 to 3, but just what do you think about this crazy series and you can throw on the fact <laughs> that the Astros won on Sunday 21 to 1.
5: Yeah, absolutely nuts. Um, and, and, you know, I, you, it shows that the funny thing about it is, is that when you're around, uh, you know, small market teams, when they face the big dogs in their division, uh, they're not daunted because they, they get to see these teams all the time. You know, I see that with the Rays when they play the Yankees. They're, they're not in awe of them, I think, the way that uh, maybe teams in other divisions are. And so it, in that sense, I don't think it was a surprise that they punched right back that after getting blown out on Monday and after Houston, you know, put up 21 runs on Sunday. And at that point we're saying, boy, Houston, this, it looks like it's gearing up to be the clear world series favorite for them to go out and beat up Wade Miley the way they did. That was impressive.
1: I, you know, I understand a lot of voters on the East coast don't get to see our games. I mean, bottom line, we don't start till seven, uh, 10 your guys time, but Marcus Simeon right now is third in the American yep. league in war. He's got 28 home runs, 81 RBIs. He scored 109 runs. He's playing shortstop every single day at a high level. I know he's not going to get the MVP, but wouldn't you agree he should get a lot of votes? Top 10 votes for sure. And and
5: I can remember, you know, after his first year with the Athletics, having conversations with David Forrest about uh, Marcus because when you have that sort of an error total. You know, you could understand why people might be skeptical about whether or not that player is going to advance and become a, a viable option. Uh, but David talked about how uh, Ron Washington believed in him, and he talked about how they believed in his work ethic, and they really thought that he would get better, and that there were just things that they thought uh, tangibly uh, that he could make adjustments and improve. And that's what we've seen. Now, I think Mike Trout's going to win the award. To me, he's far and away the most valuable player, the best player in baseball. Uh, You know, D.J. LeMahieu, I think, is going to be in the conversation. Uh, Alex Bregman of the Astros will certainly get a lot of top three, top four votes. But you're right. Marcus Simeon, to me, is in the conversation for top ten.
1: Well, it finally happened yesterday, Jonathan VR. It was kind of fitting that the team that's giving up the most home runs actually helped set the record for most home runs in a season. Um, you know, the ball. It, it. Everybody's talking about the ball. I know you guys address it on the podcast. I mean this this record amount of home runs in every category. What do you think baseball does at the end of the year?
5: Yeah, what? Oakland's got seven guys with twenty or more.
1: Yep, that's
5: <laughs> crazy. Uh, it's a fascinating question because all summer, when I've been talking with executives about, okay, how do you adjust your valuations based on the explosion of the numbers? You know, they've essentially acknowledged that you don't, you can't take at face value that the type of home run numbers we're seeing put up in 2014. There were a total of 57 guys at 20 or more homers, and this year it's going to be something in the range of 130 to 140. Uh, which is insane. And what Justin Verlander said uh, at the All-Star break in terms of it being a joke, it kind of is. Like it, it, it obliterates numbers in a way that uh, it didn't even happen during the, the steroid era. And so it is going to be an interesting question. What, you, you know, right now, Rob Manfred has acknowledged that the baseball is different, and he's got his group of scientists who are looking at them, uh, and they're going to make a report back to Rob, But then the question is, at that point, what does baseball do? If they get word back, yes, the ball is different, yes, it's more aerodynamic, yes, it's flying in a way that we haven't seen before, the seams are lower, then if you're Tony Clark, if you're Rob Manfred, what product do you want? Because I can tell you this, there are a generation of hitters who've made all these swing adjustments to get the high velocity, and they're putting up big numbers. They're not going to want to hear about the ball being deadened. Uh, and it does raise the question about the baseball. Who's to say exactly what the baseball is supposed to be? Is it when Justin Verlander likes it? Is it like when Mike Trout or Cody Bellinger likes it or Marcus Semien likes it? And I don't think that's, uh, that's been determined yet. It'll be in a really interesting, uh, uh, interesting to see what the union's perspective is on it, because for Tony Clark, it'd be like choosing between children. Either you pick the hitters or you pick the pitchers the direction you go.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of golf when basically the ball was flying so far that the PGA Tour and the USGA had to go to Titleist and the other companies say, "Hey, you need to dial it back." You know, I mean, it's like it's like we're playing with a Pro V1 for God's sakes. And I start thinking about, okay, the numbers are one thing. But when it starts affecting these teams when it comes to contracts, when it comes to free agency and arbitration, is that when they're going to realize, whoa, wait a minute, we're having to pay people more money because of their numbers? Maybe that's when they decide we need to scale it back. I
5: I agree with that in theory, but I will tell you this, and and, uh, you know, I've had this conversation with a couple players. I actually don't think you'll see the the, the trickle-down go to the players in that way because when you have 130, 140 guys to 20 more homers, then teams aren't going to be as willing to pay for power. We started to get a sense of that in recent years, anyway, as in the home run numbers have exploded. You remember when Chris Carter uh, led the National League in home runs, and then he was non-tendered by the Milwaukee Brewers. I, I thought that, uh, you know, from afar, and I haven't asked Chris about this, but I think that that direction, the fact that teams weren't willing to pay big sluggers anymore, probably spurred Chris Davis to talk in spring training about how he'd like a contract because he's aware of the recent history. Uh, And and I do think with all these guys putting up big numbers, if you're a free agent and you're saying, hey, look at my resume, I hit 30 homers this year, teams I think are more likely to shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, no, price isn't right, we'll go find somebody else because there's a lot of guys who hit 30 homers.
1: You know, on your podcast and also on ESPN.com, you guys have done a great job of breaking down bullpens and there's more bullpen usage, and these bullpens are just failing. They're getting chewed up and spit out. Where do you think we go after this season? Do you think teams are going to want to get now go back to getting more innings from their starters? How how do you think this is going to go? Yeah, the
5: pendulum is swinging. You know, where 15 years ago, the goal of lineups going into a given start was let's build up the starters' pitch count – to get him out of the game so we can get to the soft underbelly of the opponent, which is, you know, the eighth or ninth pitcher, the, the fourth or fifth reliever. Uh, and in the last few years, teams have looked at analytics and decided, you know what, we're going to get the starting pitcher out before they face a lineup third time through. It's better to have a reliever throwing as hard as he possibly can uh, for one inning, and we see an advantage in that. But then as Sal Fasano, the coach for the Braves, said to me in spring training, the hitters are going to have revenge because they made their adjustments and they began to get the fastballs at the top of the zone, plus the baseballs. And you're right. Relief performance has dipped dramatically this year. We've seen a spike in injuries. And yes, I do think that you're going to start to see teams, uh, you know, work back. I think the athletics have been a great example of that. Where last year they were so heavily relying on their bullpen, but this year, Uh, it really has demonstrated the volatility of the relievers and who really have been the backbone of their pitching success this year, a relatively stable rotation.
1: Let's end on this. Buster, only you need to pick a favorite to win the World Series and you need to pick a dark horse. Who would those two teams be?
5: You know what? Uh, Among a lot of other stupid picks that have made my life, uh, back in January I picked the Astros to win the World Series over the Atlanta Braves. And I will stick with that. I think Atlanta's more dangerous than what they're being given credit for. And uh, they may be the team that actually knocks off the Dodgers in the in National League uh, playoffs. And maybe they're the team that beats the Astros.
1: Buster, you're the best. We promote the podcast all the time. We talk about it. Your content is second to none. Of course, we love reading you on ESPN.com. Be well. And we'll talk to you soon. Chris, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The great Buster Only from ESPN. Absolutely love Buster Olney. Once again, listen to his podcast. That's where you hear Sarah Langs. That's where you hear Hembo and so many more people breaking down the game of baseball. And finally, we do this every single year. Clay Wood, he'll never have to do it again. But this was the last time we were going to see Raider football with the infield dirt. And clay has been working on this field for so many years, trying to get the field ready. Uh, It's just not the players playing on the field. It's the stands that they bring out on the uh, opposite side of the field. Uh, It'll be on the – The away team side and those stands kill the grass, and every single year he's having to fix it and paint it and try and make it look good. It's just a tough, tough process to go from baseball to football or football to baseball. Nobody better in the business because a lot of people will tell you the grass at the Coliseum, even though it's below sea level, is some of the best turf in all of baseball. Here's head groundskeeper Clay Wood. I'm being joined by the happiest man in the Bay Area today. I can tell you that uh, the work he has done over the years is unbelievable, and he'll never have to deal with it again. Clay Wood, heads groundskeeper of the Oakland Athletics, your last infield dirt game. Congratulations. You survived it.
6: <laughs> uh, it's been a long time coming. 25 years of this stuff is uh but it's like dog years. I'm 109 and multi-purpose groundskeeper years. So I look pretty good for a 109-year-old, don't you think? Yes, you do. And I was trying
1: to tell people it was literally 24 hours ago. You and I were standing on this field, and it'd probably be four, so it's probably late fourth quarter. And the fact that you guys have turned this over in essentially less than 24 hours just talk about what an effort that is for you and your crew.
6: Yeah, I mean, for for my crew as the grounds crew, the the stagehands, the crane operators, everybody that's involved in this, you know, massive, uh, cumbersome operation, and then on top of it, rained on and off all night uh, and all morning. So that just made it, you know, more difficult on everyone. The, you know, the thing that that's hard for us as the grounds crew is is you know, everybody finishes, all the stands go back in, everything's back in, and then we're left with the mess that is the field, whether it's center field or the warning track, Uh, you know, with the rain, the warning track was just an absolute disaster. So, you know, my guys are going to be working on that right up till game time, probably. But uh, yeah, it's a a challenge for everybody involved, and and, uh, I think I don't think anybody's sad to, uh, to see that be the last one going this way.
1: I totally understand but growing up watching it it was a, almost every stadium had it even the dome stadiums you know everybody shared back in the day.
6: It wasn't that long ago you know you think about it you start naming them and, and I mean you can go on and on naming the multi-purpose stadiums you know starting with across the bay San Diego, Miami, uh, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean it, it, the list goes on forever. Everybody had a multi-purpose stadium it seemed like besides Detroit. And, uh, you know, I I don't know about... uh,
1: Dodger Stadium.
6: Yeah, Dodger Stadium. There was a few that maybe didn't, but, you know, Anaheim. um, Yeah, they did. You Just, you know, mile high, you know, AAA and and NFL. uh, And then the Rockies for a couple years. So, I mean, it it wasn't that long ago when you think about it. Now, uh, fortunately, uh, they're going to be extinct. And there's a good reason for that, and they should be, so...
1: Yeah, a lot of people forget, you know, old Yankee Stadium, uh, Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, they all had football back in the day. And, and talk about, like I try, you've taught me over the years, it's the actual football game isn't the worst part. It's actually in center field, left center, and right center, where the where the bleachers are that that really hurt the grass.
6: Yeah, I mean, the center field bleachers are probably the single hardest thing on the, the turf, and it's really the process of getting them in and out of the stadium. Uh, it's not necessarily the the bleachers themselves, but, but in order to get them onto the field, you know, it takes a ton of plywood and cranes and forklifts and trucks and all kinds of things that just compact the grass and and basically kill the grass. And then this week we had them out there for eight days. So, uh, you know, no sunlight, really no water, no circulation. Um, so, you know, that's why it's going to be kind of neon yellow today. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then, you know, really, the the left and right-field corners, there's no access when it's in football configuration. You're going across, you know, the left-field corner or the right-field corner, all the golf carts, all the sideline equipment, all the TV, uh, everybody that's involved in a, you know, you know how many people and, yeah. and how much stuff's on the sideline for an NFL game. All that crosses the corners of our outfield, so... You know, it's just, it's just not uh, designed very well for, for access for, for football. You don't have a full warning track. and um, So it's really difficult on the baseball field.
1: Yeah, I, you may not notice it when, when you're, you're – you really don't notice it when you're watching on television – but even when you're here, you know everybody's watching the field. You may not realize there's hundreds of people on the sidelines, on both sidelines. It's crazy how many people there
6: are. Yeah, especially pregame. I mean, even during the game, but pregame, uh, you know, I think especially even this year now with them being, being their last year here, there's a lot of a lot of people want to come down one last time. And you know, there was uh, probably the last two games, uh, Monday night and Sunday. I've seen more people on the sidelines pregame than I've ever seen before. So. Um, You know, all that adds to it. Um, All of it makes it more challenging and and more difficult. But, uh, you know, again, fortunately, it's the last time that, you know, for everybody that that we have to do it.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, for for both organizations, everybody's like, thank God. You
6: know, I was comparing the
1: field actually where the players were. It's kind of like a fairway in golf, right? The grass is perfect, but there's divots. And right. you're going to have that when you have a, when a lot of golfers coming through. I, I, would you compare it more like a fairway?
6: Yeah, I would. You know, and the other thing too that that's hard to explain to people is, you know, it's not like uh, it's not like Kansas City or Carolina or Miami where, you know, we're going into a football season on a brand new football field. We we've played what 76 baseball games. Um, we've had pitchers warming up in the outfield for 76 days. We've had all of our maintenance, which totally goes against the football field. Um, And then on top of that, the last three, you know, the first three games that the Raiders have played, it seems like 90% of those three games combined have gone from uh, the 40-yard line on the north to the north end zone. You know, it seems like every game except for the second half of yesterday has been played on this side of the field. So, you know, all that factors in. It's kind of crazy.
1: How much does it affect the field that we're below sea level here at the Coliseum?
6: Oh, well, it affects it a lot. Um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to explain, and and um, it, it's really a tidal thing. You're in a stadium where the field's 22 feet below sea level, and it, it's surrounded by water. You know, it's surrounded by the slough that runs around the stadium. the the uh, we have a lot of uh, shadows, uh, difficulties with shadows from the big scoreboard and, and the east side structure. Um, so you know, certain parts of the field just stay wet longer during the day. It holds moisture being below sea level more. So there's a lot of factors that go into it that that uh, you know it's hard to explain why and how, but it, it just this field just holds water totally different than than a normal field that wouldn't be. 22 feet below sea level.
1: You know the thing though about the field that a lot of people will tell you around the game is that this is the best playing surface in Major League Baseball. So it's kind of crazy, and it's a credit to you and your staff. It's kind of with all the craziness around it, the actual grass and playing for baseball, it's beautiful.
6: Yeah. Well, when it's just a baseball field, you know I've got a great staff, and we take a lot of pride in what we do to to try to keep this thing, uh, you know, tip top shape for baseball and. That's really, you know, on top of it, what what makes it even more frustrating, I guess, is, you know, you have 76 games and the, the, the field's still OK for baseball. Yet you come in, you convert it. It just shows you the challenges of the stadium. You convert it once or twice for football and the field's shot, you know, and that just that just goes to show you how poorly of a design this is for two sports. and And, and it's on, you know. It's unfortunate that has to happen. That's just the way it is because there's so many, so many moving parts in this conversion. You just can't do anything normal once you convert to football.
1: And I think about the new stadium in 2023, how, how much different, because it's a different climate down there. It's cooler and it's right on the water. How will it be different than from here? Do you think
6: D- different climate and but a lot of you know potentially a lot of the same challenges being right on the water. Um, probably going to be above sea level uh, with the with the field, but you're going to be right on the water. And you know I think uh, unlike here, you're going to have uh, the benefits of s- some newer technology. Um, there's some some uh, sub air systems, some things that make fields. You know, drier when they're wet. Uh, there's just a lot of technology out there that, that we can build into a new stadium that really you can't uh, you can't necessarily, the way this place is designed, the way it's, uh, the, the drainages and the pump room and being built in the 60s, you can't add those things here. It would be tough to, uh, you know, to really renovate and, and update things with that technology like you could in a new, you know, Starting from yeah. scratch in a new building.
1: Yeah, I've had so many people say, "Why don't they just renovate the Coliseum?" And it's like, "Well, if you're going to do that, you just tear it down and build a new one."
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that, that the people, you know, you, you really, there's nothing left to renovate here. I mean, every every room, every building, you know, every room in the building leaks. You know, I mean, if it rains, uh, you know, the clubhouse leaks. The uh, you know, my office leaks, and it, you know, that was built in '96. My office still leaks. You know, it's like. <laughs> There, there's no renovating this property I mean it's just there's there you know there's only so many walls you can knock down you know I mean there's, there's only so much you can do
1: so one thing I've always wondered because now football has gone we're not gonna have to deal with football with DA's how do you get the paint off the grass
6: um well it's gonna have to grow out I'll, I'll probably we tried to dye it last night but we got a pretty good amount of rain overnight and it kind of washed off the, the dye from last night so um, it's really hard on the grass to try to wash it out so uh, usually we just paint it green and then just kind of mow it out as we go.
1: Ah, yeah, because I've always wondered, like all of a sudden it's like here there's paint and then all of a sudden it, it, it's green grass again. Because you know we got not only do you have you have this, you have three more against Kansas City, three against Texas, but there's potential. We're hosting the wild card game on the second.
6: Yeah, and, and that's the good news, you know, for baseball anyway, the field conditions are only gonna get better from here to, to hopefully potentially, you know, hosting a wild card game and hopefully a deep playoff run. So, you know, if we're not converting and we're not playing football, then, you know, we have the ability to fertilize and, and really do more regular maintenance to, to push this field along in the next 10 to 13 days.
1: You know, I know your crew gets to know the players really well, and it's a a great relationship. Just talk about how, you know, the synergy with this team winning again, now 90 wins after 97, can still win more with with this homestand and road trip, but I know there's a great bond between you guys and the players.
6: Yeah, you know, it's fun. We we have a great little spot in the dugout. We get to sit right next to the players. The guys have, you know, a lot of the bullpen guys have their little rituals when the guys walk down to the bullpen. But uh, it's a fun, t- a fun team to be around. They're young, they're energetic, they're super exciting to watch. I mean, we've got two of the best corner infielders I've seen in certainly the 25 years that I've been working in the game. And I mean, I, there doesn't, not a play goes by I want to miss when a ball's hit the third base. So um, it, it's a lot of fun right now, a lot of fun.
1: Do you guys ever talk with the infielders about the infield, about maybe they might have a request?
6: You know, I try to keep a pulse on it. Um, These guys don't really talk daily about it, you know. um, I I, talked to Matt a little bit, you know, the first first year he was up. During football, we were facing some challenges. You know, the field plays different once we have football, so... um, but it's, you know, really the only guy in the past that I've had really like a not and it wasn't necessarily a daily thing, but really ongoing was Eric Chavez. We were like, you know, we just had a really good dialogue going and kind of knew what each other were thinking. And, and you know, if, if I felt like I could read his body language, like maybe something wasn't right, I just talked to him. You Oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it was a little hard for a day game or something like that. But uh, but these guys, yeah, they don't uh, they don't. Have a lot of uh, daily requests or anything like that.
1: You are the best. Congratulations. The nightmare is over, and it's just baseball from here on out here at the Coliseum. Oh, amen,
6: brother. Amen. Clay, you're the man. <laughs> See ya.
1: That's my man, Clay Wood. Nobody better in the business. We want to thank Liam Hendricks, Matt Olson. Jesus Lazardo, Buster Olney from ESPN, and Clay Wood, heads groundskeeper for the Oakland Athletics. Thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Now back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn.
0: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
5: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.